welcome, welcome to church. Um, what an amazing morning already. Um, if we haven't met before, my name's Emma. Um, it's amazing to see you guys today. Um, total joy to come and speak to you. Um, we are carrying on in our series called With Me. Has that worked? Are the slides? We'll, we'll work out if the slides come up or not. But we are in um, this series called With Me, looking at Psalm 23, this deep dive into the Psalms, um, going verse by verse, um, kind of rediscovering what it means to live as people who know that Jesus is with us. And we've been doing this for the past few weeks as we've started our sermons together. We've been reading Psalm 23 out loud. Um, so we are going to carry on as we, I don't know what the phrase is, what is it? carry on as we mean to start, start as we mean to go on. Um, and luckily we've got a script now, so let's say this all together. So the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in quiet pastures. He beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. Um, so today we are looking at possibly the most famous part of this verse, verse four, like even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Um, and the title that I've been given for this sermon is Fearless Living. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus in such a way that even when we walk through the darkest valley, which we all inevitably will do, like, what does it mean to walk through those times, not consumed with fear, with despair, with worry, but to walk through them with a confidence and a trust in Jesus that gives us a hope that cannot be snatched away and a peace that makes no sense to the rest of the world? And I'm really aware that for some in the room, like this isn't just like a nice intellectual exercise. Like this dark valley isn't an abstract concept, a kind of what if over there in the future. It's a painful reality in the present. Like for all of us, there will be moments in our lives where the life you thought was guaranteed disappears in front of you. And what seems like this spacious kind of green meadow rolling on and to the horizon is suddenly transformed into the deepest of valleys with no clear ending in sight. Like whether it's the redundancy letter that comes through out of nowhere, like no matter how many job applications you're sending off, you seem to be getting nowhere. Or like that mo moment in the hospital room where you're just waiting for the results of the scan. Or that moment after yet another panic attack subsides and you're just left feeling exhausted, like life is spiraling out of control. Like for all of us, there are moments in our life where the life you thought that was guaranteed disappears and the green meadow suddenly becomes the darkest of valleys. And it's in those moments of disorientation, of confusion, of pain, fear can enter the scene and overwhelm us. Like fear can quickly become our master and we become enslaved to it. And the tragedy is that fear steals from us our joy, our hope, and it traps us in this place of despair. But if Psalm 23 is true, like if what is actually contained within these verses isn't just like nice sentiment or a nice picture, but it's actually true that despair doesn't have to be the settled state of our souls, 
then I don't know about you, but like, I know I need to hear that afresh this morning. Like if Psalm 23, if the testimony of scriptures and countless other men and women throughout the ages is true, that even amidst the very real darkness of this world, we have a light that even death can't distinguish, like then we've got a story that our world desperately needs to hear us say again right now. And so wherever you find yourself today, like my prayer for us is that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we would rediscover afresh the power and the hope of the gospel. Um, And that is only going to be a work of the Spirit. So can I just pray for us as we kick off? Lord, we thank you that you are here and that you're moving. We just recognize your presence in this space. And Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts to hear your word afresh this morning. Would you take the words I'm about to say and use them for your glory, Lord? Amen. Amen. Um, So it feels like the time in the talk uh, where we give you your weekly sheep-related fact. Um, So last week, like John really upped the game with his kind of sheep facts. Um, You know, if we don't get people feeling called to farming after this series, then something has gone seriously wrong. Um, But my facts for you today have a bit more of a geographical flavour to them. We're just mixing it up a bit, giving a bit of a holistic education to you all. Um, So this verse mentions a place. It mentions the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, it sounds like really poetic language, right? But these valleys were actually kind of commonly referred to in ancient Israel. They were actual places. And these were places where the path kind of winded around um, down into gorges between mountains. Um, They were so narrow in places that the sheep couldn't even turn around. Um, Dangerous rockfalls were really common. Flash flooding could happen in an instant. And it was in these valleys that predators would hide in the cliff edge, um, taking out the sheep one by one. So these valleys, they were known in ancient Israel and they were referred to as the valley of the shadow of death. Um, And they were also unavoidable. Like it's not that people wanted to go through them. They had no choice to go through them. There was no way to walk around it. And the same is true for us, right? Like dark valleys in life are not optional. They are unavoidable. We live in this broken world where pain and heartache will be part of our story. These aren't just places of theoretical danger, but where threat is real. And so the question to us this morning is, what is our response going to be when we encounter those times? Like if you've been um, around at KXC for any length of time, you'll have heard us say that the story we live in is the story we live out. Like if the story we live in is one where this is it, where death is the end, then our response to a dark valley should be one of fear. But if we live in the story that evil has been defeated, that one day death and pain will be no more, then our response can be one of hope, even in the midst of the darkest of valleys. And so as we dive into this verse today, I just want to really quickly look at two questions. Like, what is the story that you are living in? And how do we live out that story of Jesus? So firstly, what is the story that you are living in? Like if I was asked you um, to ask you today, like what are you kind of frightened of? Like I wonder what might come to mind. Um, and before you start panicking or having an existential crisis, don't think too much. Um, this is just a rhetorical question, no group therapy happening here. Um, but just I imagine for many of us, there'll be lots of different things that spring to mind, kind of surface level stuff as well as the deeper things. But fear is one of the most primal instincts that we have. Like it tells us that there's a serious threat and we need to react. And that's a good thing. 
But fear can also become a state that we live in, something that traps us. Like fear can become our master and we can become enslaved to it. Fear starts to see and be how we see the world and how we see ourselves. And I don't know about you, but as I look around our city at the moment, this settled state of fear seems so prevalent. Like the fear of tomorrow, of uncertainty, of death, of losing control, of what might happen, of what is happening, and not without good reason. Like, but this undercurrent of fear has become normal. Like it's normal for our city to be fearful. And if we scratch below the surface a bit, we start to see why. Like the world is living in a story where the only possible response to the valley is fear. Like the story that our culture is living in is crumbling under the pressure and weight of the valley. So what is this world's story? What is the narrative that's dominant in our city? Well, our culture story is one that says, like, there's absolutely nothing out there. All that exists is here. There's no external truth. And so the only way to make meaning, and we need to make meaning, we're meaning-making creatures, is to look within you. And so you become the center of your story. Like, the main goal of life is project self. And that doesn't have to be a narcissistic thing. It's just looking after yourself. And so the big purpose of life is to find inner peace. But because there's nothing out there, like inner peace has to be found within you. So in this worldview, like the way to combat fear is by eliminating anything that could cause you to suffer. And at first glance, like that makes sense, right? We're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But what this story is really saying, if you kind of scratch a bit more below the surface, is that the only way to live without fear, the only way to experience peace is to be in control of your environment. Like, if I could just balance that part of my life perfectly there. Like, you know, if I could get those people to do what I wanted them to do here, if I could have the best boundaries in the world, then I will be peaceful. I will find inner rest. And maybe for a while, like, that will create order. But as soon as something unexpected comes along, then that carefully constructed world just comes crashing down around you. Like, it's a worldview that just leads us straight into despair as soon as a valley comes up. And if this is the best story that the world has to offer, is it any wonder that over the past few years, as we've journeyed through a pandemic, um, through economic crisis, war in Europe, a loneliness epidemic, that we are faced with a generation filled with despair? Like the story that surrounds us is one that cannot provide hope amidst the suffering of this world. And so if the story can't actually eradicate fear, if the pursuit of inner peace remains elusive, then the next best thing is just to try to manage it, to kind of stuff it down, to keep fear at bay. And one of the symptoms um, of this, one of the symptoms of a culture overwhelmed by fear is that we're also a culture addicted to noise, like addicted to distraction. We might not be able to kind of solve some of those deeper worries inside of us, so we're just going to drown them out, to cover them up, to help us deal with them. And we are really, really good at doing this. Um, I've heard some terrifying stats. You know, the average person touched their phone over 2,600 times a day. Like the average time spent on our phones is three hours, 20 minutes. And for millennials and Gen Zs, that increases dramatically. Um, and I know I'm guilty of this. We listen to endless hours of podcasts, like music during the day, um, Netflix in the evening. And like none of this stuff is wrong in and of itself. But we are a culture that does not know how to be alone with our thoughts. Like how to be still, how to be silent. 
because we're scared that if we do, we're going to be confronted with some fears and worries that the world has no solution for. Like, you know, the truth is it's so easy for the fear that's dominant in our culture to actually have become the posture of our heart. To start living out of this world story, forgetting the story of Jesus and living with this baseline of fear that limits our capacity for hope. Um, a few years ago, um, I used to live up in Archway um, and there was this pond lake thing that I used to walk past um, a lot. And it was one of those places where kids were constantly feeding the ducks. Like these ducks were the most well-fed ducks in the country. Like I'm surprised they were able to fly anywhere. There was just like this constant like stream of baked goods being like chucked into this lake. Um, and it was a really kind of picturesque kind of place. Like the hills were like rolling down into this lake. It was lovely scenery. Um, but if you looked a little bit closer, like if you walked up to the water's edge, like away from the ripples um, that were being caused by like Tesco's bakery section being chucked into the pond, like if you got to a place where the water was still, where it was undisturbed, and you looked down, well, like any illusion that this was some blissful part of the countryside would be uh, evaporated very quickly as you just saw the outline of like a shopping trolley, the bike, the barbecue, like you name it, it was at the bottom of this pond. As long as there was kind of ripples on the surface of the water, that stuff was covered up. But when those things stopped, like you could actually see what was underneath. And as I've been thinking about this talk today, like this image has just kept on coming to mind. Because if for a moment we stopped, you know, throwing the bread into the water of our lives, if like the ripples on the surface subsided, like what would we see below? Would we see the settled state of our souls as one of peace and rest? Or are they ones of fear and worry? And I just wonder if for some of us today, like if we were to be honest, we know that we're living with that baseline of fear. And so it's much safer for us to keep throwing the bread into the water, hoping that the busier we become, the more successful we are, the more fun we go after, the more control we have, will hide those deeper things. But the reality is, it's just leaving us absolutely exhausted. But the thing is, Jesus invites us into a different story. Like what the world's story is powerless to do, like Jesus shows us a different way. Like Jesus' story shows us that peace does not come by meticulously curating your life or searching for it within yourself. It is a gift that is given to you when you center your life around him. Like far from the world's narrative, which says that peace can only exist in the absence of suffering, Jesus' peace isn't dependent upon our circumstances. Like unlike the world story that says everything depends on you, we get to freely say that we cannot save ourselves. Like in Jesus' story, we don't have to be fearful of the dark valleys because we have a good shepherd who has gone before us. Like Jesus has walked through that valley of the shadow of death and out the other side. We have a God who doesn't just know what it means to be in the dark valley. He comes to us in our places of pain, bearing on his body the scars that enabled our freedom. Like when he died on that cross, he defeated death in order that one day, like our future hope is that every single tear will be wiped away. And so whilst we experience pain now, we can journey through those times with an unshakable hope, knowing that our lives are eternally safe in him. Like, do you know, he and he alone has the final word over history. Like, he and he alone has the final word over your life. 
When we step into the story of Jesus, we discover that, in fact, we're not declining towards a sunset. We're traveling towards the dawn. Like, this is the story we are invited into. I should feel like to say that actually wasn't my line. That was someone else's. So I just need to, need to like, give them credit for that. Um, Jesus, he sums it up like this. He says in John 16, 33, like, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you are going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Like, do you know Jesus like that? Like, it's one thing to know the story of Jesus right, but it's another thing to trust him with your story. Like, do you know the peace and the hope that trusting in Jesus can bring? So firstly, if we're invited to live in the story of Jesus, secondly, how do we live that out? And I just want to really briefly um, highlight three things of what I think it actually means to live fearlessly. So firstly, we acknowledge the valley. Like living fearlessly doesn't mean ignoring our present situation. It doesn't mean that we deny our pain. Like, please hear me. It is not a code word for insufferable positivity. Like, you'll be pleased to know. (laughs) The laughs tell me that you do know. Um, Instead, like another way of saying to live fearlessly is to live with hope. And Christian hope, it isn't the one that says there's nothing wrong. Like, hope doesn't deny our reality. In fact, hope cannot be real until we're real about our suffering. And that is what makes it so powerful. And so if you want to live with hope, then you have to daily bring your raw, your real, your unfiltered prayers to Jesus. Like, the kind of prayers where you do not hold back, like anger, lament, grief, questions, bring them to him. He can handle it. If we want to live fearlessly, we have to be real about the pain of the valley because it's in those moments when we're honest with him that we allow Jesus in to bring healing, to bring comfort, to strengthen our hands for what lies ahead, to build hope in us for the future. So we acknowledge the valley. Secondly, we feast on truth. Like throughout the New Testament, the writers tell us that the way we live fearlessly is not just by laying down our fear, but by replacing it with something better by filling our minds with truth. In Philippians 4, Paul writes this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Which is like, come on, Paul. That feels like a bit of a tall order. But the word there in Greek is is not this one-time anxious thought. It's the decision to stay and meditate on it. So Paul then goes on to say, instead of doing that, like think about whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure. In other words, like guard your minds. Do not meditate on fear, but call to mind again and again the good news that we have in Jesus. Like we know this to be true with our bodies, right? If we eat a load of rubbish food, it feels great in the moment, but our bodies are really not going to thank us. And the same is absolutely the truth for our minds. Like what are you filling your minds with? Is it things that lead to fear or is it things that nourish you? Like Paul isn't saying we won't experience thoughts of fear or doubt. Like he's not asking us to turn them off. He's asking us to hand them over. Because the danger isn't in the present thought. We're all going to have those. It's what we do with them. Like we can choose to dwell on them. But what you choose to dwell on, you believe. And what you believe has your heart. And what has your heart has your life. So when a fearful thought enters your mind, we are told to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Like in other words, when you find yourself thinking fearfully, choose to start thinking about the story of Jesus, of the truth of who he says you are, of what he's done for you. Like it will start to shape your life and you'll find your heart increasing with hope. 
So acknowledging the valley, feasting on truth, lastly, trusting his promise. Like the only reason that David is able to walk through the valley of death is because he trusts in the promise that God is with him. And the same is true for us. Like he doesn't just know about the good shepherd. He knows him intimately. Like it's all well and good to know about Jesus, to know the theory of the gospel, but it's a different thing entirely to know that Jesus is with you. Like it's his presence and his presence alone that will change you, that will give you hope. So just as I come into land, um, I felt like it was right to share this story. Um, and I felt a bit hesitant about it because it sounds a bit trivial um, in terms of what we're talking about. But I couldn't just shake it. So it might just be for one of you in the room. Um, but it was of me as a little kid. Um, when I was kind of five or six, like, I was totally terrified of the dark. Um, I don't know if you remember what it was like um, if you were scared as a child. But like fear just totally overwhelms you, right? You can't, there's no rational ability to rationalize it. If you're scared as a kid, it, it's overwhelming. Um, and I used to pretend I was absolutely fine because I didn't want to seem scared. Um, but in bed, um, I would be absolutely convinced that like something else was in my room. And it was almost like I could feel something there. And it happened for like quite a few months. And my whole body in that moment would just freeze. Um, I was so scared to move. I'd wrap my duvet around me. I'd tense up really, really tight, every muscle tense. Um, too scared to move, not quite knowing what to do. And at the point I was most scared, this song always used to drop into my head. And looking back, I think actually might have been the spirit, but I had absolutely no concept for that at the time. But the song was just a little Sunday school song that my granny used to sing to me. And it was just this, like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Like, yes, Jesus loves me. Like, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And I would be too scared to sing it out loud in case there really was something there. Um, but as a little kid, I used to whisper it in my head. And each time I went through that verse, my body would just relax a little bit more. Like my muscles would become a little less tense. And I'd still feel the presence of something scary in the room. But I would feel another presence enter the room that I knew was greater. And I would <clears throat> repeat this song over and over in my head until I fell asleep. And like before you get any wrong impressions of me that I was a particularly holy child, that definitely wasn't the case. Um, it was just this one song that I used to remember. Um, and as I said, fear is totally overwhelming, right? But somehow this song seemed to silence the fear. Like the uncertainty of the darkness was still there. I hadn't turned the light on. But that song fixed my eyes on Jesus and like I could literally feel fear leave my body. And whilst you'd be pleased to know I've gotten over my fear of the dark, um, over the years, like, there have been other dark valleys that I've walked through in my life. And we've all experienced them, right? Moments of pain and heartbreak. Like, yet my testimony is that in the midst of them, each time fear has gripped my heart, as I fix my eyes on Jesus, the presence of someone greater enters the room. Like, I've never been alone. Like, Jesus has been with me. His spirit has been whispering to me, like, I love you. Like, you belong to a different story. You don't have to be afraid. I think we're just going to um, create a bit of space just to pray for people right now. To pray that um, if you're going through a dark valley, that you might experience the good shepherd who's with you, the presence of someone greater with you in the midst of it.